Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Today, I'm joined by my podcast partner, Rachel Levin, and a very special guest, Ebony Beckwith, CEO of Salesforce Foundation. Welcome to the show, everybody. Good to be here, Michael. Thank you, Michael. I'm really excited to be here. Ebony, you just wrapped up the Salesforce Trailblazing Women's Summit. It was a huge success and featured business leaders, authors, and equality advocates. Tell us more about it. Oh, Trailblazing Women is amazing. And it's right now in its third year. And what I love is that we get to hear from so many incredible women, both inside and outside of Salesforce. And there's real power in hearing women's stories. And I feel like this year we really got into some real authentic conversations about leading through uncertain times, about navigating stigma and stereotypes in the workplace, and so much more. And the other thing I really loved is that these conversations led to meaningful dialogue offline. I know I personally was texting with friends and colleagues and fellow speakers, both during the event and after as people watched the replay. And it felt really good to connect and explore these issues further, like we would have if we were together in person. Yeah, just following up on that, Ebony, you know, this year has been such a difficult year. You know, millions of more women have lost their jobs than men. So what can companies do to get more women back in the workforce, you know, now that the vaccine rollout is really going in high gear? That's a great question. You know, recently I read a McKinsey and LinkedIn report that women are 1.3 times more likely to consider leaving the workplace or downsizing their role right now. And if this continues, we will wipe out all the progress we made over the last 10 years alone. And we just can't let that happen. So as you mentioned, companies play a huge role in helping bring more women into the workforce. And I love the commitment Salesforce made years ago around equal pay for equal work. And we've spent $12 million to date on that initiative. Imagine if every company made a commitment like that. There are also a lot of practical things companies can do to take the pressure off of working moms, such as offering childcare benefits and extended time off. I know for the moms on my team and my friends who are moms, resources like this are really helpful. Definitely. So Ebony, what can we all do right now to help support women's equality? I think it's very simple, open doors. If you're in a position where you're able to bring in more women, women of color, do it. Pull up another seat at the table, or if you're a hiring manager, ask your recruiting partners to show you more female candidates. It's really all about action and intention. That's great advice, Ebony. And I love the stuff you've been posting lately on LinkedIn. You know, our listeners might not know it, but you have this great series of posts called Boss Notes, where you share lessons you've learned as a business leader. What inspired you to start doing those posts on LinkedIn? So Boss Notes started when I came across an old notebook with a page titled Advice to My 12-Year-Old Self. And I was reading through them and smiling and realizing how relevant uh, the advice is. And so I posted it on LinkedIn and told my community I was going to make it a regular thing. And so fast forward to today, some of these posts have gotten over hundreds of thousands of views. But for me, it's not about the views or the likes. What these numbers tell me is that this content resonates with a lot of people. Everyone can relate to feelings of imposter syndrome or struggling with authenticity or perfectionism or you know whatever the case may be. And I often get texts and messages from people saying that is exactly what I needed to hear today. So I use Boss Notes really as an extension of my mentorship. It's my way of paying forward what has been so generously 
given and poured into me over the years by my mentors. So stay tuned for more on, on Boss Notes. I'm really excited about what's next. Me too. Thanks so much, Ebony, for joining us today. Now let's take a listen to a great conversation from the Trailblazing Women's Summit with Jillian Mercado, actress, model, and founder of Black Disabled Creatives, speaking with Linda Aiello, EVP of Employee Success at Salesforce. Welcome to Trailblazing Women. Jillian, we are so honored to have you with us today at our third annual Gender Equality Summit. Before we jump in, can you tell us a little bit more about you? Tell us about your journey, the people who shaped you into who you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's honestly an honor to be here, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Well, my journey began um, in New York City. I was born and raised there, and I quickly noticed the lack of representation there was in the media, specifically in the fashion industry. And since I come from a Latin background, we're very determined and like strong spirited women. I felt like I needed to do something about it. And I quickly learned that through my mom, I had the opportunity to follow my dreams and do exactly what I wanted because I had that privilege of her bringing me from Dominican Republic to America, having me here. And I think that that really helped me on having my path in the industry as a physical disabled woman. Amazing. And you know, I, I, I grew up in the fashion world and I've noticed you know, you've become a really prominent figure in this world, challenging beauty ideals, redefining traditional norms in the fashion industry, starring in campaigns from Olay, Calvin Klein Fragrance, Nordstrom, Target, Tommy Hilfiger, Beyonce. What has that journey been like for you? It's been quite a roller coaster, I have to say. I mean, I... I'm a very visible individual, and I think I stand out in a lot of places, and specifically in the fashion industry, everything's already magnified a thousand. So having myself in a room where education and ignorance in a way where opportunities were aren't given to people like myself, you know, are very hard. But, um, you know, I think that we are in an interesting time with social media and sharing our stories and being authentic and showing people that, you know, we're not alone. You know, there is a massive community out there who's willing to help, is willing to like lock hands with each other and say, you know, we can do this. So I always do my best to, when I'm in a table um, with people to bring in my community, all my communities um, in one place. And you've used your platform to elevate both the Latinx community as well as the disability community. So you mentioned a few ways, but what's been the most impactful in driving change and what advice do you have for others who are wanting to make more of an impact? Wow. For me, I started on social media. So I started posting photos of myself, talking about my life experiences, you know, just being as authentic with what I was going through in life as much as possible and try to drive a change within the community to then bring it outwards. And for me, I mean, the biggest advice I think I would have to say is speak up. You know, if you see injustice, speak up for it. Um, You don't have to necessarily have that lived experience, but if you have empathy, you know, if you care for each other in a way of growth to, you know, if if you see a room that doesn't look like the world, then you need to speak up. And, you know, for me personally has been social media. And I think for a lot of people that has helped speak their truths. 
So in addition to your modeling career, you also play Maribel Suarez, an immigration attorney on the show, The L Word, so Generation Q. And this is centered around a group of diverse LGBTQ plus characters experiencing love, experiencing heartbreak, setbacks, personal growth and success in Los Angeles. So what does this role mean to you personally? Sometimes I find it hard to like actually believe that uh, this is happening in my world, (laughs) um, which happens quite often in a lot of jobs that I do. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm here. I mean, it was already revolutionary when it came out about 10 years ago or so, because there weren't a lot of authentic stories about that community, the LGBTQ plus community, and being able to not only bring stories in that community, but also as a Latinx woman, as a disabled person, I'm able to bring all those stories together. And also the representation part is so crucial because we see time and time again, movies or TV shows depicting the life of a disabled person, but not necessarily having a true voice through it, not necessarily hiring people who actually are disabled. And until we don't have real stories, about our actual livelihood, I think it's really unfair to have these things continually happening. So having an opportunity to actually be a disabled person playing a disabled character, it's like the beginning steps of hopefully true representation within the community. Yeah. And that, you know, that representation issue, it's definitely in the media, in television shows, as you mentioned, And also there's this kind of enduring stigma in the fashion industry. So can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing to fight and advocate for more representation for people with disabilities in the fashion industry and how allies can support in dismantling stigmas across industries? Yeah, I, um, I've worked so hard in my life to be like honored to be in a position where I am right now. And I know how much privilege I have doing so. And I think, honestly, for me personally, it has to do with the team that I'm surrounded with, with my family and friends and my actual team team who understand the history of the disability community, the history of the lack of representation that um, coincides with fashion. And every job that I do or every opportunity I get, they know that it's such a crucial conversation to have. And I do my best to ask, can I hire a photographer who's disabled? Can I hire, you know, a writer? who has a disability or things of that nature, um, I always ask, you know, it's better to ask than to like not. And, you know, if they say no, that's fine. You know, as long as I've put that seed in your mind, that's all that matters to me. And I feel like in the years that I've had doing this, that that has helped a lot because it raises an eyebrow on people like, oh, we didn't see that. And it's like, that's the problem, (laughs) Hmm. you know? Um, So, yeah. And I love that, even planting that little seed, then the next time with that person, hopefully that person doesn't even need to be asked to consider. That's the dream. Yeah. yeah that's it. We'll work on it together. Don't worry. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about this word inspiration. So you've spoken about how the word inspiration has been ruined for you. So can you tell us more about how that relates to the ableist tendencies and sort of when you're being, you've been portrayed in that light, how do you look to change the narrative through your work? Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate because it's such a beautiful word. It's supposed to be a word of, you know, moving forward, of like seeing the beautiful things in life and to see the stories and and how much, you know, stories there are on this planet. You know, every individual has their own path and their own journey. But unfortunately, the word inspiration is always the first word that somebody says 
to a disabled person. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter if the disabled person is just sitting on their couch watching Netflix, you know, which is pretty much like 70% of my life right now. <laughs> welcome, welcome, to, yeah. uh, welcome to COVID. <laughs> and I think it's important to, yes, be inspired by people. I think it's important to know there are people who do extraordinary things and to see outside of their own livelihood and introduce, you know, maybe new methods, maybe MacGyver their way in somewhere, you know, even though society has collectively made assumptions about the person even before they were born. For example, personally, for me, a misconception that a lot of people put on me because I'm disabled is that I can't have a career. I can't be in fashion. There's a lot of like, I can't, I can't, I can't just because I don't physically walk, you know, which I don't know who invented that, but obviously it's projection, but that's for another story, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and I think we all have to educate ourselves and accept that we do have ableist tendencies. Mm -hmm. You know, I, even as a disabled person, don't know every single disability um, there is on this planet because it's one out of five people who have disabilities. That's a lot of people you know, whether it's invisible or visible. And I think the most important part is to acknowledge that ignorance, acknowledge that tendency and grow from it. Listen to the community and with that information change within your own surroundings. And hopefully from that little change, that could be a word of mouth and it continues to grow and grow and grow and snowball until we all have a place at the table and actually food to eat. Excellent. I love this. And it's that, that movement. So uh, you know how we can continue to help get this movement going is, is, is critical. And, you know, one of the things you've done is you, you met with UN secretary general Antonio Guterres in 2018 to discuss the organization's efforts to address inequality, particularly among women and girls with disabilities. So can you talk more about the disproportional impact to women and girls with disabilities? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that notion in my mind kind of came to be when I would visit my grandparents in Dominican Republic and visually seeing the different forms of how they would approach me, me being myself, being from New York, being Latin, being loud and determined. I sometimes got taken back by it mm-hmm. and then realized how that they don't have the means to educate, to actually you know, help these women and children to go to school, to get that education or to get medical help, you know, or assistance. And I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of education that needs to be had to these children specifically to help their moms to be like, you know, I still can go to school. I still can get that education. So I always try to do my best to kind of connect the dots and see how I can be of service to people who, didn't grow up in New York City, the best place on earth. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> we may or may not have a little bit of bias there, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, and, and using that privilege and that leverage to connect those two worlds together, you know, because I think the moment that we realize we all live on one planet, I feel like things will be a little bit better. There's a few people that still think that they're on other planets but I think that when we get that notion that we all live in one planet and we all need to help each other grow and hopefully see our next generation live in a better place than we do now that's most important when I think about what we've gone through as a planet in this past year where we've all experienced something together there's an opportunity to leverage that empathy as well 
and how we can learn from that and apply that and take that moment to think about there's something going on in different people's lives all the time that you may not notice. You just happen to notice it right now because you're going through it too. So, Absolutely. You know, just a little empathy goes a long way. For sure. So a little further into that comment on, you know, impact on women and girls with disabilities, how does intersectionality play a role in your disability advocacy work? Oh, so much. <laughs> So much. I keep bringing the word privilege, but I, I always try to check myself and humble myself of how how many privileges I do have in life and how proud I am to be all these layers that make me myself. And for me, specifically, my personal ones are being queer, being woman, being disabled, being Latinx. And um, I've embraced all of those communities. And I know how much help in a way of growth there needs to be within those communities. And if I'm able to access maybe a job or a conversation where I can invite all those communities in, I do so in a heartbeat. Because I think it's very important to be proud of, you know, who you are as a person and understand that it makes you who you are, you know? And that's in itself, it's like super special. And I know that sounds very cheesy to say out loud, but I think it's really important you know, to really be proud of your personal growth, your personal experiences, and to understand that love can be of yourself, you know, loving yourself and loving exactly who you are is really special. And that's something that I do my best to remind myself every single day, but also let other people know that it's a no judgment free zone, you know, like no one's going to judge you for being exactly who you are. Again, I think once we realize that, I'm excited for that moment. Hopefully I see that in my lifetime. (laughs) Last summer, you founded something really incredible, the Black Disabled Creatives, which is an online community-driven database. So can you tell us about Black Disabled Creatives and what led to the launch of the database? Yes. So this was kind of a sporadic creative moment that I had, you know, watching Netflix on my couch. I've noticed that the reintroduction of Black Lives Matter that happened last year, I found a lot of my close friends or family posting about Black-owned restaurants, about Black-owned authors, and, you know, just kind of reintroducing everyone to the existence of Black lives that we have been here for since the beginning of this planet. (laughs) And we will continue to be here till the end of this planet. But as long as we start treating that we live you know in one planet if we if we if we stop treating it that way then we're not going to move forward but I also noticed that disability wasn't coming into conversation and you know now that we're all working from home that is one of the biggest things that as a disabled person they tell you oh I'm sorry you can't get this job because you're at home and then as soon as the pandemic hit oh, wow, everyone's at home. Look how easy that was. (laughs) Um, So I called a friend up and I'm like, hey, you know, I I threw in an idea of having a database where creatives can just live and can understand that they are not alone. I picked creatives because I'm a creative myself. So that was a little easier for me to start off with 20 people that I personally knew and then keep going from there. But I just wanted a sense of community to know that they are not alone to use my connections and jobs that I've done before to have a place like, oh, there's other Jillian's out there. Jillian's not the only model actor that um, is here. So that's where the 
idea and the database is pretty much all about. Really incredible. And it's true. We can't unsee what we've seen this last year. So any preconceived notions about what could work? Blown out of the water. <laughs> we proved otherwise. So you talked a little bit about social media before and how important it is to ensure that our images and messages are inclusive. So what tools or practices do you recommend for folks out there who want to ensure that their content is inclusive? Yeah, I mean, the easiest thing I would have to say captions. It doesn't have to be a long video. It could just be like, you know, on Instagram, a story and you're like, hey, how's everyone? Caption that, you know, not everyone necessarily can read lips. Not everyone has access to, you know, really understanding how someone who is hard of hearing, you know, to hear. So I think the easiest thing I would probably say is caption every single thing, no matter what. That's really, really, really important. And also, like, I caption my Netflix shows just to get that secret information on the side, you know? <laughs> That's just, like, something that I love doing. But, you know, it helps and it, and it opens and broadens your community of people who are watching your stuff. So you just start from there and everything else will follow. Excellent. So thank you again so much for your time and this incredibly powerful conversation. I personally learned a lot in these 20 minutes um, and I know everyone else around who's watching will feel the same. Can you finish with sharing with us one or two trailblazing women who continue to shatter stigmas that our audience can learn from and amplify? Yes, two very amazing disability activists called Alice Wong and Haben Kima. They are amazing and they speak about their own lives and how people can be better allies to the disability community. And they're also pretty kick-ass women. So. Awesome. I will check them out. That's my homework now. So thank you so much. Thanks for your time today. And I really, really enjoyed this. That was Jillian Mercado, actress, model, and founder of Black Disabled Creatives, speaking with Linda Aiello, EVP of Employee Success at Salesforce at the Trailblazing Women's Summit. To learn more about our inclusive leadership practices and how to champion equality in business, go to salesforce.com equality. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Thanks for listening.